0: Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I am here with George Mays and special guest, Corey Anderson. Like that intro? Like a pro. Yeah. (laughs) Corey, Corey's here with us. We're uh, glad he came in, and he's representing Postmill today. So it's a big responsibility Mm -hmm. when you represent an entire field of eschatology. I feel the weight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've had a good time so far. This is uh this is number five, right? We did an intro to eschatology, like what are the non negotiables? Mm-hmm. Uh, dispensationalism, George did all mill, great job there, historic pre mill. Now we got post mill. So we got them all covered, I think, except for those heretical versions. <laughs> <laughs> right. We'll leave those away. Yep. Yeah. But before we jump in, I'm looking forward to it. You got anything for us? I suspect you do. Well, I just found a.
1: I just found a meme for you. You found a meme. Yeah, I just found a meme. It's just a random meme that I found and thought, eh, let's, let's show, see it. I'll show this to Jay. Jay. Jay, you like your snack packs, right? Oh yeah, snack like packs. Snack packs. One of the. You fine know, I put, I put the, the snack packs in my refrigerator. And you still have not? Have you eaten any of them? I haven't eaten any no, of them. I George,
0: I don't want to take. I don't want to plunder your goods. I I bought them for you. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> for me. I thought you were just stocking your fridge with the no. snack packs.
1: But since you went to uh, since you went to Master Seminary, I, I was wondering if you'd ever seen if you'd ever seen these. You put <laughs>
0: the,
1: Ma- the, Ma- packs. the Mac Fresca pack, the Mac Pack, the Mac Pack Fresca, Mac Pack
0: Fresca, made with real milk. I wonder if it tastes like tres leches cake. <laughs> I'd eat that. That's pretty funny. I don't know if
1: fresca. Ever... He likes Fresca. He I does guess. like his Fresca. He really likes it a lot. Yeah, he had like a little mini rant during uh, the COVID lockdown uh, stuff because he couldn't get his he couldn't
0: get his Fresca. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, good yep. stuff. Well, Johnny Mac. Yeah. Good thing we recorded this this uh, series after I graduated, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> Just kidding now they knew they knew they had full knowledge of who they were accepting in Steve Lawson you
1: called you, you into his office
0: you would have even been welcomed in George had a couple all meals even there. me even even you. me even you yeah <laughs> what is what is Steve Lawson's uh, I would assume he's I would yeah. assume he's dispy like I would think he is sometimes he says things though that make me believe his a pre primo. okay yeah but it's not, I haven't, he kind of is just a guy that's like, I'm only going to preach what's in this particular text and that's it. Yeah. I'm not going to
1: go anywhere else. So it's
0: hard to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So one day you might think he's uh he's like an Arminian or something. Well, I, you know, cause he's just going to preach what's right there.
1: I think that's maybe the, the weakness of some of these guys that they, they're known as conference speakers. Mm-hmm. And so they travel around and they just preach, you know, individual texts. So they're not a pastor at a church where they're preaching through books of the Bible verse by verse, and so you, you don't get right. like the big picture. That's one of the I was talking to one of our um, uh, I was talking to someone a few weeks ago about listening only to Paul Washer. Yeah, and if you only listen to Paul Washer, you're just going to be depressed all the time. <laughs> you're just going <gonna, laughs> right. to be crushed. Yeah, <laughs> but you have to remember that Paul Washer is not a pastor. He's not. He's That's not right. at a a church preaching to the same people week after week going yeah. through books of the Bible and so he's he I, th- I think that he's assuming that he's preaching to different people every time that he's preaching th- these sermons mm-hmm. and so the 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 criticism about him is that he can be really legalistic yeah but I think it's because
0: <laughs> he's he can he's be pre- he's
1: preaching he's preaching to a particular like, conference. Right. Yeah. Um, he's he's not preaching through a book of the Bible. Yeah. And so you got to be really careful when you listen to these guys if 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 all you're listening to are these conference guys, you're not going to get the full uh-huh. the full counsel of, of God's word right. because that's not what they're doing. They're not, you know, they're right. not traveling around the country preaching through a book of the Bible. They're they're just preaching <coughs> individual
0: text. Yeah. And that, that's
1: what Steve Lawson does also.
0: Uh-huh. Who who do you think you need to listen to to balance that out?
1: Um you
0: know, I I think MacArthur's good. Yeah. Um no, I mean like a balance out, like if you're balancing oh, out Paul Washington. Oh, you, you want to tip the teeter totter uh, back um, towards more balance. Hmm. Who do you think is really good in that as far as that goes? Piper. Yeah. Piper's, that's good. Piper's a good, good one.
1: Piper would be a good
0: balance, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um I think Beaky might be a good one. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, people don't okay. listen to him that much. I think right. he'd be a really good one to balance yeah. that out. His
1: I don't see his his like sermons circulating as much as I see other other yeah. guys he's he's usually promoting like a book or something right yeah yeah that's that's probably, probably I think he's got job. some really good good stuff mm-hmm. and he's a pastor also so he's going to be preaching through uh-huh. books of the bible to his people yeah
0: yep can
1: yeah so yeah you have to be careful listening to just a conference speaker yeah you got to listen to someone who well, is actually a pastor who's preaching to the same people
0: Week after week. Well, before we uh, get into the shenanigans you brought, people are probably wondering who this is. We've talked to Corey before. People know who yeah, you but,
1: are. You know, he's not. You're like, like, you're like one episode away from <laughs> being like, a regular. We get him in like one
0: <laughs> once every like uh, like year and a half. Yeah. So who who, who are you?
2: I'm Corey Anderson, uh, pastor at Grace Community Church. Grace Community Church, we actually just changed our church <laughs> name to Grace Reformed Baptist Church last Sunday, um, okay. just to be more upfront about who
1: we are. Uh-huh. Um, this is the thir- third time you've changed, changed your name? <laughs> Second. Second. Second time, time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Second time, okay. yeah.
0: Right. Used to be First Baptist Elgin, right? Mm-hmm.
2: First Baptist Elgin. Um Also... Not to give a whole defensive of when we're changing our name, so we're, Lord willing, we're we're going to plant another church and uh, launching in September, um, and uh, working through constitution and bylaws and uh, statement of faith. We we've subscribed to the 1689, and uh, church plant was going to do the same thing, and so just to be a little more seamless, cool. um, they're going to have the same name except they'll be Norman. Okay. Um, so um, they're
1: going to put you up on a big screen.
0: Or-
2: Are you moving up there? Are you moving to Norman? No, no. We've actually been training up three other men, um, and they're in a demonstration phase um, to be—we'll appoint them as elders um, the Sunday before um, they launch. So um, it's pretty exciting. I mean, we've had—so there's this will be 27 of our members will be going to
1: launch this church in in Norman. Do you have a a location—
2: Yes, we do. It's, it's been incredible. Um, so we were talking to, we, we were just thinking they would rent space, you know, or share space with the church. Um, and I told one of the guys to, I said, what you need to do is you need to reach out to the DOM for their association. Cause, you know, there'll be Southern Baptists as well, you know, for now. Um, uh, <laughs> And um, we'll bring you back in a month and see if that's still, yeah, <laughs> still a <yeah. the> plan. <laughs> well, I mean, I've heard in the past before. You know, you have the you know aging churches who you know their congregation has dwindled, um, and they have all this facility space. And I said, they, at at the very least, they might be willing to share the facility with you, perhaps even at no cost. I said, but man, uh, churches close the doors all the time. Uh-huh. So reach out to them. There might be a church that's getting ready to. You know, close its doors, and you know we could purchase the the location or whatever. So he reached out to the director of missions, and uh, he was so excited because he said, "There's a church. Um, it's on is it 62 or 63 going into Norman, where the big casino is.
0: It's right
1: there on oh, that yeah, highway. I know, I know your timeout. And um, Jay frequents there. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, I go there for golf, George. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but he said uh, he said this. The man who's pastoring there right now, he's aging and he's ready to retire, and they just have a handful of members left. Um, you guys can use that space, and uh, if it works out, you get your feet under you. We'll just deed it over to you. That's oh wow, cool. that's awesome! So um, just the Lord provided in a, an amazing way. The facilities were built in like ni- in the nineties, so they're wow. still pretty new. Okay, um, so it's going to be it's it's going to be really great. That's wow. great, man. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's we're nice. excited. Good stuff.
2: So, yeah, pastor at Grace Reformed Baptist Church. Um, I have five kids, wife of almost 17 years. Um, yeah,
0: that's. Well, welcome. Those welcome are back. The important things about me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, Glad I, to be here. I had to, I had to get you on that so I could adjust your microphone volume. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's I'm going to have trick. to remind myself to <laughs> stay near, stay near I, the microphone. We forgot to do that before we hit record. <laughs> so I had to get you talking. Gotcha. What do you got for
1: us, Giorgio? Oh, I uh, I I only have another meme, and it's uh, it has to do with post millennialism. So
0: let's <laughs> have it. Let's have it. So all can, right. Let's. So, see it.
1: We, do you want to see it now, or do you want to wait until we introduce what post millennialism is? People may not uh, even know. Uh, you People know may what? not even know what post millennialism is. They might not? That's let's true.
0: Uh, let's just go ahead and start, and then maybe you can yeah, bring, yeah. bring yeah. in your funny meme here. Yeah, and okay,
1: bring some levity. Well, I mean,
0: so, I, I thought it was funny. <laughs> Let's let Corey have the
1: floor. Yeah. What? What is so, it? So, I've got a list of, of questions mm-hmm. for you, and we'll we'll just see how uh, how the conversation goes. Okay. But, so you would you call yourself post millennial? Yes. Post millennial, right? Yes. Okay. All right. So, um, there I, we know. I, I was talking to some church members last night after our prayer meeting about eschatology, and, mm-hmm. and there are a variety of different post millennial views right Wait. Yes. and we've, we've kind of discovered that as we've been going through our, mm-hmm. our series that within these these major labels there's there's different varieties i mean right. even, even tim gresham who came in and talked about dispensationalism mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't your typical dispensationalist mm-hmm. right um so given that there are different different views of postmillennialism and how it's been expressed just lay out your your position what is postmillennialism what makes it post, mm-hmm. and then just kind of lay out your your view for us.
2: Okay, so most basically, um, post millennialism, post millennium, millennium, as you guys have talked about, you know, is uh, comes from a word that means thousand. Um, so the millennium is a thousand year period um, that Revelation twenty speaks about, um, and the post means that uh, Christ returns post. Millennium after the thousand years, you know, whatever that thousand years means. Um, so that would be the most simple definition. Christ returns after the thousand years that we find in Revelation twenty. Um, there are um, different uh, different stripes of postmillennialism. Um, if you've if you're familiar with N. Murray's uh, "The Puritan Hope," um, most of your Puritans who were postmillennialists um, not all not all Puritans were postmillennialists, um, but those who were um, typically um, thought saw the millennium being a, a future reality that uh, the gospel would be preached um, to the ends of the earth, ushering in this thousand-year period. Uh, some call it, you know, describe it as a golden age on the earth um, where uh, you know essentially Christ reigns through His people. Um, and, you know, that can be described different ways Most of your Puritans would have Have you guys talked about idealism, historicism? A little bit A little bit yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit Okay um, so most of your Puritans would be, as far as the Book of Revelation goes, they would have read it um, from a historicist point of view, seeing um, the Book of Revelation describing the unfolding of, you know, essentially Christian history. Right. Um, from from there forward, this is where, if, you, if you're familiar with the uh, uh, the 1689 and I believe Westminster you know, Confessions, also. Would refer to the Pope as that Antichrist, um, so they're seeing fulfillments of these uh, the visions you know throughout you know church history. Um, historicist, the historicist view isn't all that common anymore. Um, there are a few scholars, at least that I'm aware of. Um,
1: I don't want inter- to. I I don't mean to interrupt you, but I am interested. Who mm-hmm. who do you who do you know that holds to historicist view nowadays? Because I I agree you don't you mm-hmm. don't see it very much. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the the one that I'm most familiar with is Francis Nigel Lee, Francis, uh, and and I, the only thing I know about him is he's written a commentary on the Book of Revelation from the historicist point of okay. view. Um, that uh, there's there's a website and it's the name of it. It has to do with uh, um, Puritan theology, um, and they take a historicist point of view. But I'm not sure who writes all their stuff. Um, could be Francis Nigel Lee or someone related to them. You know, if if, if, uh, if you're familiar with any of the, uh, the Presbyterian covenanters, uh, you know, modern covenanters they would call themselves that, I believe there's uh, a decent number of this. You know, it's a small group, of course. Um, but uh, some of them would take a, a, a historicist point of view um, also. Um, more commonly, what you're going to find today, and, and it, it was present to some extent with the Puritans, um, John Owen, for example, would take a preterist view of. I'm uh, not f- not familiar with m- much that he wrote on Revelation, but Second Peter chapter three, where you have the earth, you know stars falling from the sky. A lot of the same language that Jesus uses in all of that discourse. Um, Owen read that passage um, from a at least partial preterist um, view. So partial preterist um, um, meaning um, that the uh, Pre- I can't remember the, the Latin word, but preterist um, is seeing the fulfillment of uh, at least most of biblical prophecy <clears throat> in the past. Praetor? Praetor? Praetor, that's it. And it simply means past. Um, so personally, I would take a, a partial preterist reading of Revelation, but not entirely, not comprehensively. I mean, I've listened to both of you guys. I would uh, you know, see lots of symbolism there, which you know most of the views
0: see symbolism there too. Um, so, um, But anyway, uh, most or, of... So for Revelation, where do you where do you take your break for your partial preterism? Um, I'm not
2: entirely settled on it. Um, as of yet, um, I, I see a break coming. Um, I would see, Revo- I mean, obviously, the letters that you have at the start of the book, um, and then you have the heavenly scene in Revelation 4 and 5. Um, I would see the... the, the um, if we can want to call it the tribulation or whatever, in starting in Revelation chapter six with the uh, the Jew, Jewish persecution of the Christians, um, and then you see elements of the Jewish war with the Romans, and I would see that leading all the way up to up to the end of Revelation eighteen, um, where you have the bride, the harlot, um, judged, and I would see that um, ultimately being fulfilled in seventy A.D. Wow. Um, in Revelation nineteen, of course, the first verses you have heaven, you know, praising God for His justice, you know, against against Israel. Um, then you have uh, marriage supper of the Lamb, um, and then Revelation nineteen. Um, that was a difficulty for me for a while, um, going back and forth between was this Christ coming in judgment on Jerusalem in seventy AD, or is this the return of Christ? Um, and over the last few weeks, I've come to see it more as the return of Christ and even being a different, uh, uh, so I heard you guys talk about recapitulation last week. Um, and, and I see re- recapitulation at a few different points in, in revelation. And I would see, uh, the last, well, um, marriage supper of the lamb and, um, Christ coming in judgment, you know, the rider on the white horse in the last part of revelation 19, uh, being recapitulated in, um, Verse four of chapter twenty, where you have the the, the twenty-four thrones and those seated there. Um, John sees the souls of those who had been beheaded, um, and uh, and then going into verses seven through ten, I believe it is, um, where you have Satan released and that, and then there being judgment, um, his destruction thrown into the lake of fire, and the last part of that, um, and so that would be, and. I Certainly, don't think I've said the last word about <laughs> Revelation twenty or yeah. any of these things. <laughs> right. um, but uh, so most of your most of your post post millennialists today, I mean, they're gonna they'll some of them um, like uh, there's a, a man named Martin Selbrady. Um, he takes an idealist approach um, to the Book of Revelation, um, very similar to BB Warfield, who would be a more modern post millennialist. You know, take um, seeing. Revelation, at least most of it, um, fulfilled in the past in 70 AD, or in the first century leading up to 70 AD. Um, And that's where most of your modern post-millennials are going to be, whether you're talking about Doug Wilson or um, Keith Matheson, which I'll mention some of their books later. Um, uh, R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul, Kenneth Gentry, um, who... I was listening to him earlier this morning actually and I didn't realize that it was uh two thousand twelve he was saying that he thought his commentary was going to come out soon <laughs> and, and he had been working that's on a, it for uh, ten years before that.
0: It's not out it's that's a, not out
1: that's yet. that's a dispensational uh interpretation of soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's
2: right. That's, <laughs> that's right. Um so yeah Kenneth Gentry um he he would be one of the more scholarly uh, post millennial um, writers, his I think his Revelation commentary is supposed to be like three volumes or something like that.
1: I know it's supposed to be um, at least two. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, in 2012, he was saying three, but okay. maybe editors uh, <laughs> got, a, got a hold of it and they're paying him down. I
1: don't know. I, mm-hmm. Jesus is going to come back before this Revelation commentary <laughs> is, is put out. I think it's yeah. been so long.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so that's where most of your, your modern post millennials are going to um, be partial preterist, at least mm-hmm. partly. Um, seeing the prophecies of Revelation fulfilled in the first century. Um, and uh, it, part of Revelation 19, at least, or at least Revelation 20 on through the end of the book, they would see still yet future. So okay. I guess in that vein, um, it, there's a little little bit of futurism in mm-hmm. my post-millennialism okay. as well.
1: So. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. Well, you... <laughs> You said just just a few weeks ago uh-huh. you you started seeing it in a different way. So mm-hmm. you're still you're still kind of working through stuff. Also, well,
2: especially with the Book of Revelation,
1: mm-hmm. um, you, you know. So so maybe just tie this in. How did you arrive at your current position? Because we've we've talked about you know mm-hmm. we grew up pretty much dispensational. Mm-hmm. That's that's all we we really knew for a long time, and then we just started exploring other positions is that is that kind of similar to you yeah
2: very similar to you guys um i didn't know what i didn't know it was dispensationalism Mm -hmm. you know grew up in southern baptist church um left behind i remember i remember watching a movie it it, on a sunday night you know where people vanish and there was a song a pretty famous song about
1: uh yeah i wish we'd all been ready yeah that's it that's (laughs) it dc talk yeah dc Um, talk oh yeah (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, actually, I'm thinking of an older song. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, anyway, so I grew up dispensational, um, really confused um, on just like, and and nobody, I nobody I could ask questions could really ex- explain things. At least, in, I mean, they. I don't want to discredit them. They may well have understood, and I just was too confused. Um, so in college, I um, got serious about studying my Bible, and I just wanted to, I so said, I'm just going to read my Bible. I'm going to try to suspend these other things that I've grown up with and just see where I land. Um, essentially, I landed on what I come to understand was the amillennial position. Um, and that, even from there, there were, you know, had friends who were, Postmillennial and just trying to wanted to really come down. I never I never really uh, never really uh, considered historic premillennialism, um, but would never have say that said that that was my position at really at any point. Um, but postmillennialism, you know, just going back to look at the text, I wanted to friends recommending authors and I said, I, I just want to be, I want to be convinced by texts. And so started working back through, especially in, in 2020, um, we were, we were, uh, live streaming, uh, a, a brief, a, a briefer version of our services for six weeks and uh, had lots of time on my hand. So ordered some books and uh, got my Bible out and um, just trying to work through those passages to wanted to honestly consider uh, post-millennialism like I had historic pre-mill and, and amillennialism. And uh, I had these problem texts, you know, for like second Peter chapter three, you know, it sounds, it sounds like everything, it's really bad and it's destroyed. And uh, of course there are other passages too. Um, and so working, working through those um, in, in the end of it, in, in my mind, uh, the postmillennial, or if we want to even just, you know, think of it as, you know, a, more of a partial preterist reading of new Testament prophecy um, to me made the most sense uh, of the most of the most texts. Um, so that's kind of how I got there. And
1: oh, we, you talked a little bit about some some authors were their mm-hmm. major influences and
2: in... um, authors. As far as uh, Keith Matheson was really helpful. Um,
1: and he's got his biblical theology. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, from age to
1: age, from age to age. Is mm-hmm. there? Did he write? He wrote something against full preterism, didn't he? Was he the editor of a?
2: Maybe I'm I'm not familiar with that okay. one. I
1: th- think he did, but I could be thinking of someone else. The, the, was that the main book, though? That...
2: No, actually, the, the main one was his... It was, he had written it before his biblical theology, and it was Postmillennialism and Eschatology of Hope. Okay. Um, it's a little yellow book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I don't know, about 200 pages. If someone wanted a pretty straightforward read that's... Um, you know, there's there's also different stripes of post-millennialists just with regard to um, how they see the future. You know, the seeing the millennium as at least beginning in 70 A.D. If not before, then um, you know, what's this future going to look like? Um, is it a Christian reconstruction version? Um, you know, with you know theonomy and implementation of mosaic law code, or is it uh, or is it something else? And I knew that Keith Matheson wasn't a Reconstructionist. Um, I, I'm not persuaded by Christian Reconstruction. Um, and so I thought he would take a more generic approach to it, which he did. So I would recommend that book to anyone who would want to read it. He uh, works through works through texts, um, does that a lot in the book. There's an appendix um, where he zeroes in on... Um, some very specific aspects. I mean, so he's working with principles essentially in the first part of the book, and then the appendix, he's going to specific texts. Um, even I've heard you guys mention Second Thessalonians eight or Second Thessalonians two, um, and uh, he he works through those. Um, it's pretty helpful. Other authors, um, I have Doug Wilson's commentary, and I've I've read some of it. Um, as far as wanting to really. Uh, dig into a text. I didn't find it all that helpful. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and um, his his post millennialism is a little bit different than than what you're describing. Also, because he would see Revelation 19, the writer on the white horse is the gospel going forth.
2: Really, I haven't read his, his yeah. part on that. Okay.
1: Yeah, so he would see he would see Revelation 19 not as um, a future one time event of Christ coming, but the spread of the gospel throughout the, the church age. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. So the sword coming from his mouth mm-hmm. is the word that yeah. uh, slays his enemies in the sense of causing them to be born again,
1: I guess. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I've, like I said, I've read parts of his. Um, I I was a little disappointed with it, mm-hmm. just to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I, I, was, I went into it expecting Doug Wilson. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like it was quite mm-hmm. his normal style of... Of writing, I I didn't find it as helpful either. Yeah,
2: he has he has a teaching series, um, and if you have the Canon app, I know it's on there. I the, I should have thought to look it up, that um, I thought it was is better than and it's not just dealing with Revelation. It's dealing with you know the post millennialism in, in a broader way. Uh, I think he talks about uh, historic optimism. He uses that phrase a lot. Uh-huh. Um, and so that teaching series, I thought, was better than the commentary. But um, Steve Gregg has his uh, commentary, Revelation Four Views. So it's it's helpful, too, because it's it's uh, the different readings are put in columns. So you're reading uh, the historicist view right next to the futurist, uh, preterist, and idealist. Yeah. So.
1: And there's an updated edition of that mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. brings in some of the more um, uh, modern... Commentaries that mm-hmm. uh, I know. The first edition didn't have uh, Bill's commentary on Revelation. The updated one does. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Okay. I, th- I mean, it's it's really concise, but I, I I thought it was helpful, especially if you're like not sure where you land, and right. it deals with each
0: of the views mm-hmm. pretty pretty honestly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it might be helpful. Wanna... Do you have your All Mill uh, chart still? Do you still have that? Um. Uh,
1: yes, I do.
0: Because uh, I, th- I think it'd be helpful for people well, that yeah, aren- because, aren't super familiar. Right,
1: because, um, I, it, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but the uh, are you talking about the, this age and the age to come?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just kind of like the way your uh, chart was, right. and then to have Corey explain the differences between right. all-mill and yeah, post-mill. Yeah,
1: because I, I think historically all-mill and post-mill have been under the... The umbrella term of postmillennialism because mm-hmm. we both believe that after the millennium Christ comes. Mm-hmm. We just dis- we just describe the millennium in, in different ways. Right. Right. Um, okay. I've I've got the I've got my chart. There um, you go. This age and the age to come, the overlap mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. ages. Um, this is a pretty standard <coughs> A mill interpretation of of history. Uh-huh. Uh, right. So where where what what would differentiate postmill from A mill?
2: Um. I mean, one thing it, to have a to have a post mill chart like that. It's it's not going to be all that different, honestly. Um, we we would put a, a point in there for seventy AD just to to highlight the the significance of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Um, as I understand it, I think that's when the millennium began. Okay. Um, another difference would be. Um,
1: and that's a, that's a difference from like classical postmillennialism, right? Right. Because right. classical postmillennialism would see it as something in the future from, e- from even Even uh, today. Us, right? That's right. Would there, would there be like an indicator that the, the millennium had started in that, that classical view?
2: I've I've heard it talked about in different ways. I mean, it's kind of it's you know they talk about it as being ushered in, and even some mm-hmm. maybe you don't know that you're in the millennium and, until it, until it arrives, and it, yeah, like the, most
0: and then all the nations are discipled, and, mm-hmm. and there's this golden age. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean that would be a significant event. Is that you, you seeing the see, in, at least in that view, seeing the spread of the gospel to all nations? Where um, you know what 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 would that look like? You know, Christianized governments. Uh, I guess maybe um, at, l- at least populations
0: um, in, in in that view. Um, <clears throat> but you have in yours. It begins at the destruction of the temple, or at the resurrection.
2: At the destruction of the temple. Now that doesn't mean that Christ isn't reigning before the destruction of of the temple, um, and that gets into kind of some of the exegesis of of Revelation chapter twenty. Um, destruction of the temple and. Jerusalem, that marking um, the at least the end of the, the Jewish age, the Old Covenant age. Um, and uh, in, in my view, and there's differences, of course, um, I, don't, I wouldn't see, and this is where I would differ from kind of the classic post-millennials, I, I don't see the millennium being an earthly reality. Um, so this would be similar to the all-millennial view. Um, what we see in Revelation 20, as I read it, um, is happening in heaven. Um, Twenty-four thrones; uh, those seated them; uh, those who are beheaded seize the souls of them, um, and they reign with Christ for a thousand years. Um, so, this these are the, um, the these are Christians who who have passed on, and they are with Christ in heaven. Um, so, in in some ways, we could think of Christ's reign now as. Um, what Revelation 20 would describe as millennial, I guess, in heaven, and perhaps maybe uh, mediatorial as far as the world goes, as, you know, human beings are still here, uh, the gospel's being preached. I mean, you have the threefold office of Christ. He's prophet, priest, and king, and that's in his mediatorship um and some of what in post-millennial view I would see some of what he's establishing through his bride the the, the church is establish, establishing uh his mediatorial reign in
1: the earth um, through the preaching of the gospel and the discipling of the nations so, so what 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 do you see as the main difference between omil and, and and your your interpretation of a post mill, mm-hmm. like the classical, the classical post mill, we can we can see right. more of a, a stark difference. Mm-hmm. What what would you see as the what would what would cause you to be post mill and not all mill?
2: Um, in a lot of ways, um, it would be the, uh, I mean, essentially the pervasive success of the go- of the gospel, mm-hmm. um, and seeing. Um, the nation's disciples I mean you have you have some more modern of course it was you know early 20th century but B.B. B. Warfield uh, I don't know that I would go as far as B.B. B. Warfield he, he had a position that he called um, uh, eschatological universalism in that he believes that uh, and there are modern scholars too like uh, Martin Sobrady uh, they see that when Christ returns there there are no uh, there's no one alive who hasn't been born again um I don't know that I could go that far, um, <laughs> but uh, that's it's um, some of that comes from how he reads Revelation twenty, which I think his reading's kind of complicated. But um, uh, I think I think there, I, I think when Christ returns, you know, looking at Matthew thirteen, the parable of the wheat and the tares, um, sometimes folks get get it mixed up, thinking that the field is the church, when in fact it's the world. Um, and so when Christ returns, he returns. Granted, it's a parable, but he returns to a wheat field, um, not a tear field. You know, there's it's a majority wheat. I mean, we got wheat harvest going on in Southwest Oklahoma right now. If you have a field that's full of tares, you don't harvest that. Um, you let it go back in the ground. Um, so,
1: so what's that? What does that look like? Um, sorry if it feels like I'm like pushing you on no, this. I'm fine. just trying to like. Ha- because I, I've had this question of what does this look like? Like, what what is what's it look like for the nations to be discipled? Mm-hmm. Because I'm 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 thinking about Revelation twenty. I mean mm-hmm. you've you've got you've got Satan bound, mm-hmm. then you've got this this thousand years, and then mm-hmm. he's unbound, and there's mm-hmm. there is this rebellion, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm just wondering what does this millennium look like as the nations are are discipled. Mm-hmm. What what exactly does do you think that looks like? And when Satan is unbound, mm-hmm. I guess you'd you would say he's bound at mm-hmm. eighty seventy, is that maybe um, what yes, you bound
2: would, in eighty seventy. I think okay. um I think what we find in Revelation twelve when he's cast down to the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when he's persecuting the church, mm-hmm. um, wreaking havoc in the first century. You know, it even says I think, yeah, it's it's there in chapter twelve. Um it highlights his the intensity of his fury and it says for he knows his time is short. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think that that short time is running that span of uh perhaps um, from Christ from Christ's ascension to eighty seventy, um, when I would see him as bound. As far as, you know, what does uh this future you know, a world of discipled nations look like, um, I think it can look different in different places. I, I would think I, there's, there's not, as far as, uh, um, if, if you have civil authorities who are genuine born-again Christians um, and they want to govern uh, according to God's Word, um, again, I'm not a Theonomists. I'm not a Reconstructionist, so we're not bringing Mosaic law code, you know, into okay. government. Um, though I think there's plenty to learn from there. But there, but um, there
1: are there are post millennial theonomists, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they would see maybe the millennium in a different a different way than probably you would. Okay.
2: probably so. Um, I mean, some would see you know the institution of uh, they they'll use the phrase law word of God um, as Essentially, we they, we already have the law. Of course, they're going to see you know ceremonial aspects are done away with. Um, a lot of them would see uh, the the civil law as um, being one with the moral law. Um, even the implementation of the penology, uh, the penalties uh, of Mosaic law. Penology. Penology. Yeah.
1: P. That's a new, that's a new word. I for think me. I heard that's- that
2: from. There was a debate. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember if it was one of Greg Bonson's debates okay. or uh Joel McDermott and the other I can't remember the other guy's name. Uh, they had a debate several years ago on theonomy. Um so I, I wouldn't necessarily see it like that. I think um I, I think there could be Christian monarchies. We've had monarchies that, you know, set themselves up as Christian in, in the past. Uh there, there could be other, you know, more I think there'll
0: be a Christian monarchy in the millennium.
2: In <laughs> the millennium? huh.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Historic pre-mill joke. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> um
2: so as far as what does it look like, I don't I'm not really sure. Um I think now as far as you know, one of my hang ups for, for a while has been I think Jay, Jay will find this interesting. Um <laughs> one of one of my hang ups for a while has been where do these you have discipled nations um would say you know, the the population of the earth pervasively not not maybe necessarily entirely but pervasively born again christians then where do these where do these rebels come from right yeah how does i mean satan returns and, and christ is uh, christ has you know Taking the nations, you know, the Father says in uh, Psalm two, "Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations." Yeah. and He's given them the nations, and then they, then they turn their backs on Christ and, and, and there's follow a big rebellion. Yeah, and follow Satan.
0: Are um, you subscribing now to the John Gills uh, version of this? I like,
2: I like John Gill's version, though he's historic <laughs> pre-mill. Um There are so Whitfield, B.B. Uh, Warfield would hold to a version of that. Um, you guys were talking about Tom Schreiner, I think, yeah. last time. Uh-huh. Uh, he holds to a version of that. His uh, and new, I found, new creation yeah, millennialism. I found, I found it last mm-hmm. night, new creation millennialism. His, his yeah. view is very similar to to what I heard you describing. Um, so I think, I mean, if we're just looking at Revelation, <laughs> Revelation 20, um, you know, you've got verse 4... Uh, these who have who were beheaded and did not take the mark of the beast, verse four, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, so this would be one other area that I would differ with. Um, I mean, who am I to differ with like G.K. Bill? Um, those who would see that coming to life as uh, you know this first resurrection being when it's you're born again, spiritual resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would see that as a physical. I think so. I think so. I think the first resurrection, um, Christ is the first fruits. Um, Also, there's in Matthew 27, there's the really strange passage, or at least I've always thought it was strange. Um, Jesus, uh, there are those who come out of the tombs Mm -hmm. after Jesus is raised. I think those are old covenant saints. Um, and. Bible doesn't tell us what happened I mean they what went, happened to they them? went through the city but I think I think they ascended you yeah. know whether at Christ at the time Christ did or other time um, and then I think I think revelation 20 points to also those who are martyred in in the first century I I, th- I think they're physically resurrected as well um, so this first resurrection spanning this time from Christ's ascension uh of course I don't know about other resurrections between Christ's resurrection in this point in 70, 70 AD when the temple's destroyed. But they come to life and reign with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead... So you have this kind of this parenthetical statement here in verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. And then it says, this is the first resurrection. So I think you got first part of verse 5 being a parenthesis, um, uh, pointing to second resurrection at Christ's return. Um so the first resurrection is with these these martyrs from the first century. I mean, like, did you guys talk about N.T. Wright? I can't remember or not, but he talks oh, about... I anas- don't know
1: if we really talked about N.T. Wright any. Anastasis.
2: Yeah, how, oh, it, yeah, mean, you did. how
0: yeah, it always think, means. Yeah, uh, yeah, he Physical, Physical resurrection. resurrection. Except right. for, he'll say, like, yeah. except for in this one spot.
2: Yeah, in all of Greek literature, New yeah, Testament yeah. included. So I think, I think I those yeah, are... Yeah,
0: that's a weird position for him to mm-hmm. land on.
2: And, and something else, I, yeah, I think it's... I think he's great up until that point, you yeah. know. Um, but something else that I think is worth considering, this whole idea of first century resurrection, um, is there's a lot, you know, there's Jesus is the first fruits. You know, we have harvest language with regard to resurrection. Um, and if you go to the book of Numbers, there's essentially two harvests in, in Old Covenant Israel. You have uh, the barley harvest, which comes, I think it's the, uh, I'm going to get my feasts mixed up here, uh, feast of weeks when you have first fruits of the barley harvest, and then you have uh, full harvest and there's another festival. Um, and so I think there may be some parallels, maybe some parallels between first fruits at Jesus's resurrection in the full harvest, you know, barley harvest, um, AD 70. And then you have the wheat harvest, which comes after barley, um, perhaps pointing to second resurrection at Christ's return. Um, which may be where he's getting you know some of his imagery and the parable of the wheat and the tares. Um, so the rebels, as as Jay pointed to, I, I think uh, makes the most sense to me, you know, whether it's whether you take a, a pre mill um, position on the millennium or post mill. Um, where do these rebels come from when that, that Satan deceives? And I think it makes the most sense. I mean, because you see in verse five, that the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So Satan's bound. Then you get to verse seven, when Satan is released, when the thousand years are ended, same phrase. Um, So when the thousand years are ended, there are two things that are happening here. Satan is released and the rest of the dead come to life. Verse five. And so that's the, those who have believed in Christ and the wicked dead. Um, you know, pointing to, so then it raises the question of who's Gog and Magog? You know, and you go back to uh, Ezekiel chapter 38, and 39, Ezekiel, very difficult book. I still have some questions um, about Ezekiel, um, but it points to uh, Gog and Magog. Then it gives the name of some of their princes, Meshech and Tubal. Um, and so I wanted to see, well, does it talk about Meshech and Tubal anywhere else? Because it says that Gog and Magog are going to have these hordes that come with them, and they come against God's people. Um, I think they're, it's talking about the same thing in, in, in uh, Ezekiel 39, which some of the... This is part of what made me go back to Revelation 19, um, because it talks about then the birds of the air are going to feast on the essentially the carcasses of uh, Gog and Magog army. Um, comes up in Revelation 19. Um, Going back to Gog and Magog, so Meshech and Tubal, I wanted to see, do these names come up anywhere else? And if you go back to Ezekiel chapter 32, um, they, they show up there. Um, this is a prophecy against Egypt, um, and Ezekiel's telling Egypt that God's going to judge them and they're going to go down to Sheol. And it says, and it goes to list some other nations, Assyria, Elam, and it says they're there that those nations are there, where Egypt's going. And then it says Meshach uh, and Tubal. They're there. And it talks about the graves. Um, most of Ezekiel, as, I, as I've tried to wrestle that monster, um, seems to flow pretty chronologically. Maybe until, I mean, there's, I have questions about 40 through 48. Um, but if that's the case, then it would seem that when Ezekiel prophesies to Gog and Magog that they're already in the grave. And that's what chapter 32, verse 6 seems to say, or verse 26, sorry. So coming before that, you have this prophecy against Egypt. Um, They're going to fall amidst those who are slain by the sword. Egypt is delivered to the sword. Drag her away and all her multitudes. Um, And then the mighty chiefs shall speak of them. This is in verse 21. uh, With their helpers out of the midst of Sheol. They have come down, they lie still, this uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Verse 22, Assyria is there, and it talks about its graves. Verse 24, Elam is there, and all her multitudes um, around her grave. And then Meshech-tubal, Meshech-Tubal is there, and all her multitude, her graves all around. Um, and then it lists Edom and some others. Um, and then when you get to verse thirty or chapter 38, it seems that Egypt, or that Ezekiel was prophesying to Gog and Magog. Now, some would say that this, this battle actually was fulfilled, um, like in, in Esther uh, 9, um, when Haman's still alive and their Jews are being attacked. Uh-huh. And that's possible. You know, it, it could that could be. Um, or this could be um, what we find in, in Revelation 20, could be a direct fulfillment. Uh, I'm not entirely certain. Um, what I am pretty confident of is that these, that... Uh, rebel are those wicked dead that have been resurrected. Um, Satan deceives them. What do they have to lose at that point? There's nothing to lose. And and, and before going to the grave, um, like we all born in Adam, um, are totally depraved, at this point they're utterly depraved. Uh-huh. I mean, they're, they're as wicked as they possibly can be. They hate God, um, and I mean, we would say at this point, I think we could say they don't. They don't. They don't want to be with God. <laughs> right. They don't want to go to heaven. They don't want to be with the Lord. They hate Him, and they hate all of us. They hate. They hate all of His people. So they want to. It's not hard for Satan to deceive them. These nations um, that he had deceived beforehand, before he was bound, um, and uh, and then he leads them in rebellion again. So that that uh, helps solve you know some of the, that future question of what does it look like. Um, I don't think I don't think the bride, uh, any of the bride, rebel against Christ. I think I think they're the wicked dead. Um, Yeah, I'm sure
1: there's other questions. Mm. (laughs) Okay. Giving me uh, stuff to think about and go back and
0: and look at. Can be a lot of pink and uh, purple haired people in that army. (laughs) (laughs) You ever notice that? How these people that rage against Christianity always got pink and purple hair. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I've got a few questions. Um, so people who aren't familiar, I mean, I know that, you know, we probably already know the answer to this, but for those listening, where does like a rapture fit into your system? A rapture? Or, or do you have a rapture at all? Like, you know what I mean?
2: If, if by rapture we mean the... Uh Catching up, yeah, of, yeah. of, of the people, I, I would say that happens there when the when the thousand years is ended, whatever this thousand years is. Um, uh, obviously, I don't think it's a literal thousand years because it's been nearly nearly two thousand since right. since Christ uh, died and rose. Um, remind me of your question. I uh, the, of the, <laughs> the rapture. So not like rapture. a no secret rapture, right? No secret rapture. First um, Thessalonians four seems pretty loud um you know trumpets and cry of command um so i would see first thessalonians 4 occurring there when the thousand years are ended um christ rec- christ comes the dead in christ rise first uh, we all go to meet him in the air and i think this is where we could see this revelation um, 19 perhaps uh, I've, as i've thought over over at the last last month or so trying to Shore up my understanding of Revelation. Um, so you have the marriage supper of the Lamb, um, Revelation 19. So what are, we're caught up with Christ, we come back to the earth. Um, and what are we doing when the uh, the 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 hordes of Gog and Magog, when Satan leads them? It could be we're having the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, we're the we're the we're the beloved city. Um, and they come against us, of course, Christ slays them uh, with the sword of his mouth, um, and it's not much of a battle. I, I used to think of this final battle kind of with uh, uh, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King kind of scenes in my yeah. mind, you know, yeah. uh, some of those things. But it's it's uh, as far as the actual battle goes, it's fairly uneventful other than— this is something else interesting from uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39— the armies of Gog and Magog, they're destroyed by fire that falls from heaven, um, which is what, you know, what we see in Revelation 20 as, as well. So that'd be the, that'd be the rapture um, as we, you know, the catching up would be thousand years are ended, Christ returns.
0: And we receive like glorious bodies at that point.
2: I think so. I think so. Our, I mean, Philippians three, our bodies will be like his glorious body. That's um, another thing too, with the, this, uh, we have, uh, Resurrection bodies fit for eternal life. Um, the the wicked dead do as well. Um, they have resurrected bodies fit for eternal destruction, mm-hmm. um, and could play perhaps into this this battle. You know they're right. being deceived. Um, so yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, how about as far as uh, Israel goes? Um, I know the various various strains of uh, postmillennialism. Mm-hmm. I think Ian Murray's postmillennialism. The, the postmillion presented there uh, seemed like a lot of the Puritans really wanted to evangelize the Jewish mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and they saw a, a key they played a key role in the end of time.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, In Murray talks a lot about that in his book, the Puritan Hope, um, quotes, teases out the arguments of a number of the Puritans with regard to the uh, future hope of Israel. Um, I would agree with him in the sense of I, I think Re- Romans 11 signals a, a, a if we want to call it an awakening among the Jewish people. I think that could be another thing that is a uh, a signal, you know, of uh, that it's almost th- here, the end approaching. Perhaps um, it's uh, yeah. I would see Romans eleven. I think, in, in my opinion, is pretty clear on that. I mean, at, th- at this point, Israel is just another one of the nations. In, in some ways, uh-huh. you know, they're one of the nations, at least the nations that are to be discipled um, from Matthew chapter twenty-eight. So uh, I see. I don't. I don't know what that what that awakening or if we want to call it a revival what that what that looks like. But I think we see uh, uh, ethnic Israel, at least a lot of them, you know, come to faith in in their Messiah. So
0: yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Let's see. What else? <clears throat> um. How does um. Like Great Tribulation, uh, Man of Lawlessness, mm-hmm. how does this play into post-millennialism? Do you believe at the end there'll be, uh, as far as people who profess to be Christians, that among the Christian community there's going to be a great falling away, a revealing of a Man of Lawlessness? No, Or is this, you see this in a partial-preterist <clears throat> type way? I would see that in a partial-preterist type way, 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, <clears throat>
2: um, Man of Lawlessness... Uh, be a, an individual, a man in the first century. Um, uh, many would identify him with Nero. Um, I'm not 100 percent convinced on
0: Nero. Um, it says whoever this man of lawlessness is going to take his seat in the temple. Who, who was the one who tried that? Was it Caligula? Yes. He tried to put have his image put yeah in. have his image put there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, one of one of the things that
2: this was one of my texts that I had difficulty with, and certainly don't have. Have it all mapped out. I have, still have questions, but um, in Second Thessalonians 2, I mean, you have this language similar to you know the opening of Revelation, chapter one, verse one and verse three. Uh, these things will soon take place. You know, have this language, um, and I mean, to first century church, these things were they were soon soon to take place. If, I mean, if if a, if someone agrees with me that. Uh, I, I think the book, I think the whole Bible was written before, was finished before AD 70. Um, and I know there's lots of, ev- you know, arguments a- against that. Um, but if John's writing this in the 60s, um, the book of Revelation is very soon, very soon to take place. But in in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, um, you have this, uh, he's writing to the Thessalonians. And so to, to my mind, this has to, uh, be relevant um, to them uh, let no one uh, no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless uh, that the, you know the this this judgment that paul's talking about um, that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction um, who uh who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God? Um, I've read some arguments talking that this could be the high priest, or it could be the uh, the Jewish priesthood. Um, that's I think that's possible. Um, but going going on do after, you, do you think
0: ahead. some historicists would see that
2: as uh, maybe the Pope? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I think that's that's probably the view of. The framers of the Westminster and the 1689 Confession, when they're saying, it doesn't say the Antichrist, but it says it refers to and, the Pope as that Antichrist. Okay. Um, so I think that could fit with what you find in First John. You know, you've heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Um, and so, yeah, that they would see that because they see the Book of Revelation, you know, f- un- unfolding, you know, throughout Christian history. Uh-huh. That'd be where they go. Um, but verse six says, and he's writing to first-century Thessalonians. Um, um, and you and you know what is restraining him now, so that uh, he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of uh, the way. Um, so I take very seriously that that language of now and already. Much like I do in in the Book of Revelation, um, I I can't I can't if 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 now. Can mean a long time from now, uh-huh. um, or soon can mean a long time from now. Well, up can mean down, and it, it, it's a, it's it's the opposite of what the word actually means. And I know there's uh, there it's a what uh, what's the phrase I've I've read that it, they're being used in a in a prophetic sense or a prophetic future right. sense or something like that. And I'm I'm just personally not persuaded. Um,
0: what about what about like a tribulation? Do you see that as the <clears throat> period to which the church has to endure and persevere through from Christ's resurrection till His coming, or do you see that as like mainly fulfilled in
2: eighty seventy? I'd see I would see the the great you know great tribulation tribulation as it's talked about in the Book of Revelation primarily happening in the first century, um, and and most of that coming at the hands of of. The of the Jews persecuting that's that's mostly who persecuted Christians in the first century was Jews and not Romans. Now you get uh, persecution. Uh, Nero was the first Roman emperor to persecute Christians. Um, he comes in 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 uh, in the first century, but that's a much shorter span of time
0: than the Jews were persecuting right. Christians. Because so, he, he <clears> started that persecution and then he died like four years later or something. Mm-hmm. wasn't very long. That's right. That's right. Or committed suicide. Didn't die. I mean, he died from suicide. Right. <laughs> well, but there's a distinction, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Crazy. He's a crazy guy. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, and I would see, you know, it's, you know there's the question of, and, and it's, and it's not an easy, easy one to answer. You know, if, you know, Every, I mean, every position has its weaknesses. And one in the minds of some, with regard to post millennialism, is um, Paul in his letters, Peter in his, in, in his letters, seems to uh, indicate that the church is going to be in tribulation until Christ returns. Um, and I would say, yeah, in, in a sense, there, there's going to be suffering um, for Christians until Christ returns. I don't know that it, it's always going to look like persecution necessarily, because we do have to remember that these letters are written. Two, two churches and people in the first century, they're written to them um, and, and for them but and, and for us, but not to us in the mm-hmm. same way as for them. Um, so that's where you even get, like, you know, I believe Satan's bound, and I had a church member ask me the other day.
0: That's what I was getting ready to ask you. Yeah. That was my next question. Um, what does that mean well, in your...
2: Yeah, well, I mean, First Peter 5, 8, Corey, you know, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I would say in one sense... Um, for the people in the first century, that was a real reality. You know, looking at Revelation twelve, I mean, he's going out in hot fury against the Christians. Um, I would say he's he's it, it's somewhat somewhat difficult to at least to, in my mind to describe what it means that Satan is bound. I mean, you have texts like Colossians chapter two, um, where our sin debt is nailed to the cross, and it says that Christ triumphed over the, the, the powers and the principalities, that he triumphs over them. You have Matthew 12, um, where Jesus talks about the binding of, uh, binding the strong man. Um, so there's some sense in which of the of binding that comes uh, in, in the coming of Jesus. Um, there's other, other texts that, you know, you have the chain in Revelation chapter 20, um, and Satan's locked away in, uh, in the pit, you know, and it's sealed over him. And he has this chain. I have no idea what this chain is. You know, it's I mean if this is spiritual realm, um
0: So I, is it more like all millennial binding? Uh same type yeah, of view? It, would, it would
2: it would be like that. I, I would probably in some ways see uh see the binding as somewhat more um I would see Satan as, as less free than what I've heard a lot of all millennialists um, would think of. But however, I mean, he's in this, he's in the abyss. He's in the bottomless pit. This is obviously um, not in this physical realm. Um, so I, I, is, and that, is that symbolical or is that an actual actual place like, um, like hell? Um, and his binding is, um, I've heard it described, it's more like uh, rather than, him being totally inactive, which some would take that view, I would say he's. It's more like a. He's more like a mob boss in a maximum security prison, calling shots from the inside. I. I don't think we have any indication that he can't communicate.
0: He's like kingpin. Um, yeah, he's like kingpin. <laughs>
2: kingpin. That sounds familiar.
0: Is that that's the, from Mar- Marvel? Is Daredevil?
2: Oh okay, okay.
0: I'm not familiar with that one, but. Um, <laughs> uh, did they have uh, Daredevil when you were a kid, or seen new? You? you don't know about Daredevil. It was just Superman and Batman back in the day. <laughs> Flash, Gordon. Flash Gordon. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So yeah. As far
2: as as far as uh, Flash Gordon, the 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 '80s movie. Did you see Did you, did you see that? Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, you have to look that up. The, the theme song was really. <laughs> I really enjoyed it when I was a kid. Um, anyway, uh, see how what the what that binding you know exactly is and what it entails. Um, Revelation twenty says that Satan is bound from deceiving the nations, um, and I don't think that that only includes deceiving the nations with regard to the gospel. Um, some of what Satan's done in deceiving the nations um, is what he does in Revelation chapter twenty. He deceives the nations to go and make war. He's deceived nations to make war. Um, uh, he did that for centuries um manipulating world powers, manipulating kings um world governments and and i think um his minions uh demonic forces uh, you know how whether we you know however we want to think about uh demons or whatever these fallen celestial beings are they they still do the same thing today right um, Seeking to seeking to thwart the gospel and, and destroy mankind.
0: All right, yeah. Um, I only have one more question. Do you have any, George? Well, it's just going to
1: ask like, what are the major passages that you would appeal to? You you mentioned some pro, you know, some problem passages that you have to work mm-hmm. through. What what are some of the the major passages that you would uh, appeal to?
2: Um, I would appeal. I mean, I would go. I would go all the way back to Genesis chapter twelve. Um, where in uh, in all of the Mosaic or the Abrahamic promises that God makes, kings are going to come from him and um, his seed is going to be a blessing to the nations. Um, so Genesis, 5, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 22, um, where he's making these promises to Abraham and, and you know, by extension to his seed, who ultimately is Christ. Um, and we, if we we're of faith in Christ, we are Abraham's seed. Um, and uh, so those that, that would be some of the first, Genesis 49, Genesis. Um, uh, Jacob's um, blessing to his sons, which some of those don't really seem sound like blessings, um, <laughs> right. but to right. to Judah, um, the promise that there is that, that the uh, tribute is going to come from the peoples um, to this uh, one who will sit on who uh, that's th- from whom the scepter won't depart. Um, going from there, um, go pretty quickly to the Psalms. Um, there's there are other I think there's some typological things that we could even look at in the conquest of the land um, in in Joshua, um, who's you know Yeshua you know essentially in Hebrew the same name as Jesus, um, they're taking full conquest of the land, um, so I think there could be some typological fulfillment happening there that would point to my view of the success of the gospel and Christ, uh, you know sometimes you'll hear people talk about we need to take dominion um, and I want to I want to nuance that just, just a bit to say um, dominion's given to Christ um, and we are His bride so we are His helpmate in that uh, He's we're we're working you know uh, by His Spirit you know He is with us um, preaching the gospel and um, it's 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 I think it's it's more right to say that Christ is taking dominion um, of 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 the world of the nations um, so Psalm two uh, mentioned that earlier. Father promises the Son the nations And then the kings and rulers of the earth Are commanded to uh, kiss the Son Lest he perish lest, lest he be angry and you perish in the way um, Psalm 110 One of the most quoted uh, Old Testament passages In the New Testament Talks about all of uh, the, the Messiah's enemies Will be put under his feet um, Psalm 67 Or 72 verse 8 Talks about he shall have dominion um, um, Over the earth And um, Isaiah two, I know uh, uh, from a historic premillennial perspective, they would see that fitting. You know, after the return of Christ, um, I think it, there can be a reading of a you know a, a prior to Christ there being a fulfillment of that. Daniel chapter two, um, you have this statue that it represents the kingdoms of the earth. You know, from uh, from from the Persians and the the Greeks. Uh, well, we have Babylonians, uh, Persians, Greeks, and Romans. Um, And then the Roman part of the statue gets its clay and iron, and the little stone strikes it and it falls apart, and then the stone grows and fills the earth and becomes a mountain, um, pointing to Christ, I believe. Um, A few other passages in Daniel. um, Gosh, Matthew, I mean, all of discourse I think is helpful to see, as maybe not necessarily all of all of discourse. There's a break there where I think can point to uh, the return of Christ, but most of chapter 24 pointing to first century fulfillment. You know, these these uh, that that generation that Jesus was speaking to, I believe, um, saw the pro- most of the prophecy that Jesus gave there. Matthew 28, just the command to disciple the nations. Um, was it Augustine said that? Uh, uh, God, command what you will and grant what you command. I think this happens with the Great Commission. He commands us to disciple the nations, and He grants what He commands. Um, some of those problem passages, um, like Second Thessalonians 8. first Th- Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, where it's talking about some of these, uh, you know, chapter 4, the return of Christ, um, Judgment it talks about some in First Thessalonians five, as well as Second Thessalonians one and two. Um, some of that can be somewhat difficult to harmonize. Um, so, still have some questions there. Um, another problem passage for me was Second uh, Peter uh, three, which I mentioned earlier. You have stars falling from the sky, but that's, that's language that's used. Fairly often in, in the Old Testament, Joel two, some other places that was talking about. Uh, I think Joel two talking about was fulfilled in the first century A.D. But you know we're we're still here and the earth's not destroyed. It hasn't been burned up. So they think this is symbolic, um, uh, prophetic language um, to describe uh, to describe um, uh, the world being changed. Um, much like, you know, you have prophecies against Israel in the Old Testament and some of that same language, you know, the earth melts and, you know, earthquakes and all of these things, and it sounds like things are destroyed. And, and for, for them, uh, the world as they knew it was destroyed, you know, in the sense of it was never the same. Um, so those are some of the passages. For, I think a big one for me um, was what I'd see as a plain reading of First Corinthians 15. Um, it says that... Uh, all of Christ's enemies will be put under his feet um, the last enemy to be destroyed is death um, and that's a uh, and and then he hands the kingdom um, hands his kingdom over to to the father um, so those are some a lot of Old Testament passages um, I think
1: they're some that are helpful in the New Testament as well I know she didn't mention any Zechariah it can't you can't Settle on eschatology unless you deal with Zechariah first. I, I've or, I've studied some uh, <laughs>
2: Zechariah one through six. Uh, I would have to call that up from the depths of my memory. It's been a while, um, but uh, Zechariah fourteen I know is often posed mm. as a, a problem passage. Right. right. Um, I have a friend who's historic premill. Uh, that's a, actually he's a friend of a friend, um just an acquaintance of mine who lives in Fort Worth and that's that's one text that he used uses to push pretty hard for a historic premium um mm. position. So yeah. Yeah.
0: which text?
2: Zechariah fourteen.
0: Yeah. And I,
1: I can totally see it, you know.
2: It's yeah. like it, it's tough. That's hard. <laughs>
1: well, John, John MacArthur says it's really simple. Yeah. It's really simple. Of course real, it is. It's really clear <laughs> it's, 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 it's really, really clear. Simple to simple to yeah. John MacArthur. Uhhuh.
0: Yep. Which Maybe when uh, we're done hopefully being pastors for 50 years, mm-hmm. then we can say it's simple, guys. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Don't you see it? You know,
2: I may disagree with his, with his interpretation of it, but I have no doubt it's
0: simple to him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, uh, my last question was, uh, how does uh, your, your uh, view, this view of eschatology... Do you see that it's helped you to become a better Christian or sanctify you in some some ways? Yeah, I think so. Um,
2: if, for one, I mean, it. I think it communicates to us just because I believe uh, it, it may be thousands of years before Christ returns, um, which means um, what we do now matters for the future. Not just not just in the. Uh, um, not just to be as fruitful as we can be, you know, in our own lives and in our own ministries, making disciples. We want to do that, um, but we all we want to do so in such in the way that we teach, in the way that um, we raise our families and make disciples in in the church. We want to think generationally um, that um, I, I, you have you have in um, in the Ten Commandments and. Exodus t- uh, 20 and, and and Deuteronomy 5 uh, promises within the Ten Commandments that God shows his faithfulness to uh, thousands of generations of those who love him and keep his commandments and um, I'm not a Presbyterian but there there are uh, there there are blessings that our children enjoy by being raised in a Christian home mm-hmm. and raised in faithful churches um, that um, I think I believe the Lord's faithful to those who um, Give themselves to making disciples of their children, um, um, and and hopefully having an impact on their grandchildren and, and going forward. That um, in a lot of ways, I think this is the way the 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 Great Commission's fulfilled in an organic way of pastors preaching faithfully um, and expecting expecting there to be fruit from his preaching um, long after he's gone because of the the disciples that that he's per, at least participated in making. Um, but I think it it can it should impact um, how we approach life, you know in in the social realm as well. Um, we want we want uh, laws in in our in our state and our nations that are just, and uh, we have a standard for what's just, and it's God's word. And I we should consider ourselves or, and, and, or at least put it before, uh, the people in our churches and our Christian friends and acquaintances that, uh, there, there, are some who are suited, who would be suited to be a faithful legislator. Um, and if, 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 if man is, is suited for that, um, I think it's worth considering, Lord, would you have, is this something you'd have me do, you know, even temporarily, um, to, to, for the, for the sake of, uh, the, the good the good of our of our land um, the good of our neighbors um, but but also um, for the uh, fruitful preaching of the gospel and and you know Paul tells Paul tells Timothy to instruct the church in first Timothy 2 to pray for uh, rulers that we might live a peaceful and quiet life doing what making disciples you know and and living faithfully and, and uh, in our in our work if you're a Christian plumber you, um, you used to you should do some plumbing, didn't you? I just remembered that when I said that. What are you talking about?
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we trying floor. to keep that a secret, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> people, I'm going to start getting phone calls here in about <laughs> the next couple hours after <laughs> this airs. Maybe, maybe, we don't get any comments on, on our
1: stuff.
2: <laughs> maybe gonna, maybe it was another. It maybe I'm confusing you with someone yeah. else. Um, you know, whether whether you uh, whether you work in an, in an assembly line, you know, manufacturing cars, uh, you should do it to the glory of God. Um, if you're, if you're a school teacher, then, uh, you should be a light to, to your students and to your, and to your, uh, to, to your coworkers. Um, if you build homes, then you should want to, you should want to build a home for, for, uh, for someone that's going to last a long, long time, not something that they're going to have to start replacing things on, you know, in, in the very near future. So some of those things, I mean, just in thinking about that, but, um, it, I think there's something, and of course, I know no Christian wants to just be glum and dour, and, you know, I think my view of the future, you know, because it's um, the world, if, if someone thinks, you know, the, you know, why Paul is brash on the sinking ship, no, I don't think any Christian wants to, wants to really think, be pessimistic. Um, I, I think we all want to be optimistic, you know, if nothing else, just that we have eternal life, and Christ wins, um, but... Just being more optimistic and hopeful for the world it has been it's been good for my soul um, especially coming to these views more so in, in 2020 it was uh, it, it was it was a uh, it was a joyful thing for me um, and, and I think it's it, it's it, it was uh, because I was sharing these things with my wife at the time and continued to um, it had much the same effect uh, much the same effect for her as well
1: Awesome. You got any more um, resources that you would recommend? Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, there's the Keith Matheson book, Postmillennialism and Eschatology of Hope. Um, His biblical theology is, uh, it's from age to age, um, the unfolding of biblical eschatology. It's not going to answer all of your questions, but he walks through the whole Bible. You know, from Genesis to Revelation, um, and just he's not being overtly post-millennial or anything. He's not trying to hide it, but you know that's his perspective. Is that he has, you know, this you know historically optimistic view. Um, but he does, I think he does a good job for the most part in Murray in Murray's book, The Puritan Hope. Um, it's kind of thick, but it's a it's a it's a good read. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, Steve Gregg's I would recommend this to anyone, whether you're you're unsettled on your 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 position on your eschatology or even just specifically the millennium. Um it's a it's a helpful book. I mean you have the four primary, you know, hermeneutics for reading the book of Revelation right there next to each other. Um they're they're succinct. Um so that's Steve Gregg. That's two two G's at the end, Revelation, four views. Um, and then there's this other book that I've only started reading. That uh, it's not just for post millennialism, but it's um, Crawford Gribben. Who he's a he's a Scottish scholar, um, historian, um, and it's evangelical millennialism in the transatlantic world, fifteen hundred to two thousand. Um, uh, I mean, he's just he's just tracing out the development. You know, the changes in in. Uh, uh, Eschat- es- the positions of eschatology. I think that's one thing that it's really helpful is that he uh, he points out that we need to be careful about taking terminology, even like postmillennialism, amillennialism, premillennialism, and and applying it. Um, before anyone was actually using those terms. You know, we don't want to use them anachronistically because, as he points out, in, historically, not everyone's fit just n- nice, neat, and tidy into one of those positions. The one thing I will say about this book is you have to wait, watch for it to go on sale. Um, I think it's $130, but um, I, I caught it on sale for twenty five.
1: That's, that's
0: not so. That's a good sale. Yeah, that is a good. <laughs> s-
2: yeah, it's one of those academic books that you know has such a narrow readership. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But I think I think it's on Kindle, and you might be able to find it um, uh, cheaper on on Kindle.
1: So. Wow. So those are some. Okay. Well, I've got uh, I've got my post mill uh, meme okay. for you guys, <laughs> so you can Let's see throw it. Throw that up on the screen. There you go. Post mill boys <laughs> <always> be like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's the Elon Musk yeah. uh, post millennialism. Yeah, it, it needs
0: to be Mars. Gotten. That's right. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you know,
2: I mean, technically, there,
0: yeah. those would be nations too. That's so. right. <laughs> <clears throat> we haven't gone back though, huh? When are we going back? I don't know. Are we going back to the moon? Yeah. I don't know. Yes, think we went to the moon. <laughs> maybe we went maybe we Corey, went Corey's is like, asking Corey's
1: asking the real questions uh, did we go
0: did we go and they're like and then they discovered like oh um, this is where Satan's bound we're out of here <laughs> get out of here before we break them out <laughs> oh man <laughs> Corey thanks for coming on yeah, yeah thank you it's it was my good. pleasure hope it was helpful you want to do the honors George no I don't want to do the honors come you on now the, oh, come, on.
1: Okay. come on now George all right the things I do for you Jay I never get any thanks either. I cued the music. I never get any thanks from you either. Well, Corey, thanks for coming on and talking about post-millennialism. Uh, hopefully, it has been helpful for you. Um, if it has, make sure to like, subscribe, and share. Get the word out. And uh, what's what's coming up next, Jay? We, we, <laughs> no have, we have no idea what's coming up next. So yeah. just uh, stay tuned. You'll be as, as surprised as we are. All right. So uh, We will see you next time. Hopefully you have a good uh, remainder of your week. Have a blessed weekend. Have a great Lord's Day, and we will see you next time. God bless.